Well, I think utopia for for my kids is that they're confident within themselves in their own world first and foremost, mm. because I think their experience of life will be dictated from how they feel within themselves first. This is Social Fabric, conversations with people about their passion and their contribution to the community. For more information, go to socialfabric.ie. Oh, we're on now, yeah, we're on now, it looks good. Say something so I can see if How are you, Dave, here? Welcome aboard, yeah. welcome to Social Fabric. Thanks, I'm here today. So, Dave Flynn of the Happy Fair fame, but I don't really care too much about the Happy Fair fame. <laughs> and uh, that's why I wanted to meet with you separately from your, from your brother. There's no hiding that way. There's no hiding that way, and you can't talk over each other, so. Yeah. But actually, the, the thing that really interests me, and I did ask you once, um, off record, what's it like to be a twin? Because I always wanted to be a twin. Uh, well, I think, number one, I don't have any reference for what it's like not, not to be a twin. So that, that's the first thing. That's fair enough, yeah. So, it's, so I don't know what it's like being a singleton. I think that's the technical term for someone that's not okay. a twin. All right. Yeah. So I think, uh, like, I guess as a twin, you've always had someone with you. You've always, like, I can't imagine what it's like not having mm. someone that's always there. Like, if anything happens, good or bad, I'll call Steve. Oh, yeah, what's going on? You know, that's as an adult now, but grown up, like, there's anything that happened there was always someone there with you like you you do everything together you'd go on holidays you'd meet people you were already a group so you'd always meet so many people like it's so easy to have a community of people around you and humans you know you attract humans because you already are a little group and it's very easy to be outward focused because you know it's like one kind of becomes two it sounds a bit weird but no 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 and it, but, but, it, but it interests us because the old idea of this, we were talking about it, the community and uh, growing up, you grew up in Greystones, right? You, yeah. You're born yeah, and bred yeah. in Greystones. Not born in Greystones, but... All oh, right, okay. Born in Canada. <coughs> okay, sorry, you're born yeah. in Canada. I never bothered reading all your books there. Yeah, yeah, wouldn't blame <laughs> But, uh, and what was it like then? Um, but but I, on the point, sorry, one of the things I think was thinking about was that uh, it was more about security, like it gives you a great sense. Oh, that's what I was thinking about. Was that, uh, like, if I was an individual, like a singleton, I think I'd be much more conservative. Like, I'd be more fear-based. I'd be more, like, that would be my, my own imagination that I'd, I'd probably be more focused and I'd get more stuff done. But in another sense, I'd be more conservative. I'd have more fear in me. Whereas as a twin, because there's two of you, you don't take as much responsibility because it's spread between two of you. Okay. You're more open to things. You're much more spontaneous you're like much more up for having fun. Like, you know, as we've often articulated, like Granny had often said, she said, sure, sure, if the world blew up and everything was left, if you had one another, you'd still go, right now, Harry, what are we doing? Yeah, great, brilliant. You know, that there's there's no, there's always a sense of play and fun. Like that's more with two. Whereas if we were singletons, I think we'd be... We'd be more conservative. Yeah, I think I'd So be, I suppose if one frame of reference is the other two brothers that you have, they're singleton yeah. brothers. Would, yeah. Would that have been the, the uh, growing up, like the four, yeah. of you, four, four boys, which must have been a, a mayhem. Yeah. Yeah, but the yeah. two of you, the, the twins would have been the ones to to keep calm. The other two would kind of follow. Yeah, well, uh, yeah. Mark's Mark's the middle child. He's two and a half years younger than us. He's done his own thing. In, in fairness, he's a DJ that kind of travels all around the world. Mm. And Dara works with us, so they're. Um, so I guess yeah, they're. 
like me and Steve would be wilder because it's two of us yeah, you know? yeah that makes sense you know, I, never, yeah. I never thought of that way so I would think yeah, that's I just, and not to say are they the market conservative because they're not but they I think relative to me and Stephen they probably are yeah and um, just growing up in Greystones because one thing I'm going to ask you later on about the community what, what you created within Greystones as a community but back then before when you just a regular teenager like the rest of us and uh, mm. and uh, you know Greystone was always being small enough but what, what, what was what was the community like uh, what's your memory of I it I think I didn't have like I think I probably thought it was quite small and insert like something like a father Ted like a touch of that where people lived in one of those pockets but it, it wasn't until I left it that I realised how incredibly valuable it was mm. and how much support it was and I think I've often kind of said that uh, it wasn't until like I went away by myself at 21 for two years which was a big deal mm. being an identical twin and whatever and that was the first kind of start of really kind of thinking for myself and on that journey for a couple of years I ended up going to this thing called uh, it was called an international rainbow gathering and I thought it was an idea of utopia it was like all these fucking oops I don't know if I'm going to curse all these um, idealistic hippie people living in the woods in Costa Rica and it was there was no money it was all um, it was all kind of like barter and free love like you know an element of free love and trying to build this utopian kind of society and it was like a thousand people from all over the world young kind of idealistic and it was meant to be a community and everyone called one of the brother and sister and it was like and it was meant to be the ultimate community I went along and I just thought it was the biggest load of crap like I just thought because I'd come from such a strong community mm. where as you as we were talking earlier where there was various different age groups in my as friends like mom and dad's friends I would they would always been friends I'd feel like if I had a problem I could go to any one of them or I think of our 21st birthday party it was like there was as many people that were mom and dad's age as there was our age there was a it was like a wedding you know that kind of thing and I think that kind of gave us a a real sense of community and then when I went to this thing this uh, rainbow gathering which was all about community Mm. it just felt so fake to me it felt like didn't feel sincere whereas I think Greystones, there was there was a huge security and safety in it, and I guess sometimes from watching TV, you'd, you'd want a bit of New York or LA or or London or Dublin or anything that was a bit more cosmopolitan because yeah, it was a small that, town. Like, yeah, that's, well, that's part of growing up. That what you always want. Yeah, to see if the grass is greener. Yeah, side, yeah, yeah, totally. Um, as I always do with this little conversation, we break it up with some music, and you gave me some interesting uh, music. The first one is the the greatest showman. This oh yeah, me. what's Maybe. that song all about? Uh, my daughters. That your daughters, right? Yeah, yeah, completely. Yeah, yeah. Um, Whatever. Uh, I don't know. We got on to watching it. Then we started listening to the soundtrack in the car. Two daughters, seven and five. And I guess they're my heart. They're where it're yeah, all at. Yeah. That's where they're my true love, if you yeah, will, yeah. if you'd imagine. Um, and the greatest showman. This is. Well, I guess we've listened to that soundtrack so many times in the car, and we've watched the movie a good few times. And this is me is one that we love, and then never enough they're the two that they're the two that we love most and then there's um, all of them at this stage all of them like that that soundtrack will always remind me of them.
now that you mentioned your daughters, I was going to ask you, so seven years ago, you became a father, and now fatherhood is a, it's a strange one. Actually, remember, remember one of the first time I met you guys, and that's whatever it was when you opened the shop, so 13 years ago, whatever, mm. I don't remember what it was. But I always remember you asking me, so what's it like to be married? <laughs> you asked me that, and I was like, am I that old, really? But anyway, and I remember talking to you about uh, what it's like to be married, but more so what it's like to be a father and so on. And uh, so now you're a father. Things have changed dramatically. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, I'm probably where you were when I was asking. Yeah, no, question. and I think it's fantastic. But what, what's it like? What's it like at the Being moment? Being a father. Uh, I think it's the greatest joy and the toughest challenge. Mm. I think it's like, it's as people say, it's the truest love you'll ever feel. But it's also the toughest challenge. And even in... In yoga, we've always we've done a lot of Ashtanga yoga over the last sixteen years, and you know there's there's various series in Ashtanga yoga. And the first one, you're like you learn to sit in lotus. You know, if you accomplish the first series, in the second series, you can wrap your heads, your legs around your head, and the third one, you can crumple yourself up. You know, like it's got these various physical forms. And they say that uh, having a kid is seven series because it presses wow. all your buttons. Like it's real <laughs> yoga. It's like real life yoga. And I think kids, I think range your edges better than anything. What, what and I service I think they get you more into service and being you can't be as selfish as you were yeah, pre-having true. kids you that know. is true but what also interests me is um, you know they're quite young still seven and five but you know they, they do I know it's a cliche but they do grow fast and, yeah, and, uh, so and you'll see fast. it so, but what, what do you what would you like to see for them um, happening changing you know within the community within the world we live in what would you like you know, the utopia for your kids I mean. well I think utopia for for my kids is that they're confident within themselves in their own world first and foremost mm. because I think their experience of life will be dictated from how they feel within themselves first mm. so I think that they feel confident in themselves comfortable in themselves and not as fearful as other people which I see like I think that's mm. like I think if they feel comfortable in themselves where they can talk to anyone and they're they kind of have a, a good sense of self. I think that's most important because that'll dictate most of their experience. Mm. And if I think the external world, I don't know, I, I'm less focused on that. I think, I think, I don't know, like, a, a, you know, a utopian world where they feel they can do things which they want. They don't have as much stress or pressures that we have in modern day society nowadays. No, but that's interesting you say about the, the confidence zone because it does become this peer pressure and peer pressure brought on, brought on by whether it's in school or social media, there is yeah. peer pressure. And uh, and the social media thing uh, is what, why I started all this, because I, I, I find it, it's, it's, it's a double-edged sword. It's, it's, it's great to have. It's a great way of communicating mm. at the same time, unless you're that confident, unless you're that uh, happy within yourself. It can be a really, really terrifying place to be. And your kids will be on social media soon enough. And how would you deal with that? I don't know. I'm, I, I, even the thought now, thinking of them with their head in phones and not wanting to talk to me, like it makes me kind of go, oh my God, I really need to savor every minute with them because as you say, it passes so quick and yeah. suddenly they'll go up the stairs one day thinking I'm great and they'll come down thinking I'm the worst thing in the world and they won't want to talk to me. Yeah. And I think that's the challenge of being yeah. a parent. You know, you've yeah. got to. I suppose the only the, the the best thing the only thing you can do is, is sow the right seeds and hope that they they, they believe you know. Yeah. Believe there, constantly. Yeah. But social media, I totally. You know, I 
I don't know how I think as you said I think to, if they can have friends that are beyond their peer group I think it's really important that they can mm. talk to and connect to it and I don't know how I cultivate that with my kids or how I manage that mm. and it's almost like I have fear of the schooling system the very nature of our schooling system is that you put a whole lot of kids the same age with the same anxieties the same fears the same pressures you put them all together and everything just compounds whereas I kind of I almost feel a sense of like I, I would like does uh, does uh, they will go through the education system, but I, uh, mm. as but the idealistic part of me would go. Oh, I'd love to homeschool them, or I'd love to True. to try some different thing because I think they might flourish and blossom and not have to go through this really tough teenage period, which I think is only made even worse through the schooling system and having to hang out with their own peers. No, I agree, and uh, and and also then the grading system, which again, it's a number attached to. A particular it certainly subject. doesn't bring out our creativity no. or a greater sense of self I think it just no. cre- you know but then once again like it's easy to throw stones at the system it's like how do you, how do you what's it? better and how do you do it differently like I think the idealistic part of me would go oh well I think a better education would be to take go live in different places with them and they could get jobs or go to different schools and experience different things but I don't That's know happen, yeah. or try I don't know homeschooling or something like but then they'll, they'll always have that stick to beat you over the head and say, why didn't you put me in real school? I wanted to go to school. I wanted to. So it's, yeah. I don't know. It's a, it's a tough one. It's a tough one. But yeah. uh, yeah, that's, the, that's the joys of fatherhood, you know. Yeah. And, and I think fatherhood doesn't come without motherhood because there's two of you who have a kid Absolutely. and you've got a, your own ideas are only, are at best 50% of the input. And yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. So it's, yeah. So yeah, I don't know. I don't know. You have another song. It's a Crowded House. Oh yeah, Weather with you. Yeah, that one would have been from. We used to go on family holidays all the time as kids. We used to go to France on camping trips, and this is back in the old tapes. Oh, yeah. Dad used to have an old Saab nine eleven, and we'd all pile in the back of that with a roof rack. And I think the only tape he had on one of the trips was Crowded House Woodface. <laughs> so uh, always, but I can nearly sing every song on it at this stage. It's still in my head. We went to Royan and. I don't know, we were playing golf, I think it was 12 or maybe something like that. And uh, oh, that album, any time I think of it, I think of Royanne in France and driving in that 911. Sad. Walking round the room, singing stormy weather At 57 Mount Pleasant Street Well, it's the same room, but everything's different You can find the sleep, but mentioned golf I was going to ask you I know you I read somewhere you told me before you know, you, were you pro or uh, when to go pro I was when like pro? pretty much scratching golf and you know, thought I'd go pro and went to try it and, and, and what was it like you were doing quite a lot of sports were you you were doing uh, yeah we played semi-pro rugby we played baseball for Ireland we played I nearly went you know I looked at going pro and golf and whatever so we were we were pretty into sport what were you into? Were you were you pushed into it, or were you just wanted to do it? No, we were like more like enjoy. dogs that needed <laughs> wide open spaces and fields, and we loved any kind of game under the sun. Mum knew that she needed to 
you know, we needed to burn off a huge amount of energy mm. just because otherwise we'd drive our bananas. So we were played rugby and golf and Gaelic and, you know, everything under the sun, really. But golf... I, I yeah, golf's like an old man sport. And you go, well, I just yeah, I couldn't see you playing golf. I think it, t- it takes four hours and it gets you out. I, I think we just went with dad one day. Like dad played golf, so he took us all playing golf when we were probably 12 or 13. First time ever. And I thought golf was for old men and, you know, that kind of stuff for businessmen. And I guess we went out with dad one day and one of us hit the ball up in the air and then one, the other one hit the one up in the air. It's like, oh my God, I hit one right. And then we're so competitive. It'll yeah, just yeah. be... And then we caught the bug, like the way people catch a bug with surfing or they catch it with golf, you know. And then uh, we just would have camped out and Summer's playing golf and would have spent all day. We would have gone there from 8 a.m. and been there till 9 p.m. just hitting golf balls and fishing out balls and playing and messing and and getting good at golf, you know. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Yeah, yeah. And um, you just mentioned about the school, about your kids in the school, but... What was your relationship with the school at the time? Like, um, were you I, I happy think, enough? As... Uh, like, I think we'd be ha- like, I, I can, like Janet, my kid's mom. Um, she, she would have always said that I, or, like, you'd be happy anywhere. You put you in jail, and you'd find a way to be happy in it. And I think, in a sense, like, I think the sense is an attitude that dictates lots of different mm-hmm. things. I think school, it's not necessarily our natural environment in any sense, sitting in a desk and being told to read this mm-hmm. or write that or do this. It's not an environment that, but we make the be- I've always made the best in every sure, situation. Yeah. So we would have always found a way to mess and have a laugh. And, you know, Get there was it. bits we enjoyed, but it, we're definitely not made for school. And that's why I think the education system certainly didn't suit me in any sense. But you went on to school, to college, right? Yeah, I went on to college, yeah. What did you do in college? Uh, I studied business. But it was really about that was just what you did like we didn't question things it was about mm-hmm. oh, should you just go to college that's what everyone does we go to college what should we do next dad I'd go to college you know and went to college and really we just wanted to meet girls and there was lots <laughs> there was more girls in college than in all boys school so it was like great <laughs> you know Very good. and more freedom so but I know you love learning because you know every time we have a conversation there's always interesting stuff coming out and you do a lot of reading right you're, you're mm-hmm. a re- big reader you read, love reading what are you reading at the moment uh, in particular I was I'm always reading a load of books but I'm not like I used to read loads but then having kids and work now I've been kind of I, I collect books I wouldn't say I read mm-hmm. them I collect a lot of books the moment when I was away on holidays there in Italy uh, my partner Sab she reads fantasy adventure books so they're all like like Lord of the Rings type books right. and I'm always reading like like kind of philosophical businessy books like they're very non-fiction type okay. books like Business, they're always businessy ones and kind of heady ones and they're not exactly things you'd get lost in like they're a bit like hard work um so while i was away i was like oh, here, show me one of those books that you read and i'll just try one of them so i i, I started reading one of them and i got so into it, it was great fun and now i'm the second one it's and the called, page turner it's total like it's really fun like yeah, i'm really yeah. enjoying it like because from a non-fiction reader that reads business books and lifestyle books to be reading some fun story about a vampire yeah, yeah. that's killing other magical creatures and taking over different realms it's like what joy to get lost in it like it's really fun compared to reading books about scaling businesses and the economics of this or the or like books on sleep or books on you know yeah, it's so yeah. many books on everything at home so it's so you're the, on to the fantasy so yeah I've learned yeah fantasy ones are great fun it's certainly just for escaping into it's great it's busy, yeah, yeah no a good novel is a good story yeah. it's a good story this song, I have no idea what it is, and I couldn't find it. Amelie 
Oh yeah. I've never been there. Emily the soundtrack. You know Emily the movie. Yeah, yeah. It's Jan Tiersen. I think uh, oh, that was yeah I probably should have put that no, down no no that was uh, mum in the kitchen she used to oh, she had a CD player in the kitchen and she used to play Amelie like she's like me and Steve she can play the same music over and over and over and, and thousands of times and she, music is just there in the background it's not like something that she focuses on so uh, she would always have had Amelie in the kitchen as we were growing up she used to have Sarah Brightman, you know, Andrea Bocelli, all these guys that when I think of them, they always bring me back to mom in the kitchen and nice. her busy doing things. So it's always the evening of beyond or dinner or Sunday dinner or something, you'd always know. So. Lovely. So Lovely. that would evoke that memory. Again, I live in the community and, and I've known you a long time. Um, but you're doing quite a lot for, for Greystones, even before the Happy Pair, the, the success that the Happy Pair is. You always done stuff within the community. I remember years ago you were, you had started trying to get free bikes around the town. Yeah, you, were, yeah. you were collecting bikes at the back of that. It didn't work out in the end for different reasons, but that was... That was a long time ago. That was about ten yeah. years ago. You were, yeah, yeah, probably we were all not. donating bikes and trying to get it going. But so that that sense of community has always been there. You always wanted to do. You always wanted mm. to involve the two of you, obviously, you know, as a, as a pair. But um, what's that mean to you? Like, why why are you doing all the? Why are you doing? All, I mean, it's not just the business. I'm, I'm sure it's not just for the business. No, because I think business is only as like. When, when we started the business, we always thought of it as a vehicle for social change. Like it, mm. most people think of business as a, a way of making money. Mm. Whereas that was never our, like mm. money, I guess dad, oh, dad, and I say dad more so because he's more financial than mom. Mm. He would have always instilled in us that money's just a fucking vehicle. Like it's not a, it, it doesn't make any happy or nothing. Mm. It's just something that you use to exchange for different things. So our value has never really been on money, but more about things that motivate us and I think community is always the sense of community belonging and I think think as we were talking the very nature of this project podcast social fabric where it's about connecting people mm. and I think if you think of real wealth in a sense it's not like Bill Gates sitting with billions of dollars and being scared of people taking your money and having big gates in your house mm. I think real wealth is probably someone that lives a simple humble life and can walk down the street and have lovely chats with people mm -hmm. and have that sense of community and that richness of life where that, like I look at you lads, like Andrea and Ross and the lads sitting having their brekkie and I just think the priorities and the values are so great, like a bunch of men going running and then coming back and like having having the chats and the laughs and the coffees and right. going on trips. I think like that's real wealth, like that's real values. Is, I think, yeah. whereas I think so much of Western values in Ireland and, and Western cultures are on about, you know, 
happiness comes from money and being successful and having bigger houses and having more and more and more and this is the kind of inbuilt operating system of Western culture whereas I think um, we've kind of somehow uh, we never really believed that no and, I, and again and I know this a lot of people know a lot about you because you put out books you put out daily stories yeah. and so on and so forth but uh, uh, one of the, the the very reasons I wanted to talk to both of you separately is because really uh, the reality is not that it's different, but I remember doing the Happy Heart course, mm. and that was the first one you did. Again, I don't know how many years ago it was, and and I stopped eating meat, and I never went back, and I enjoyed, and it worked for me. But it wasn't just that; it was the number of people I met on that particular course, and they say it was twenty of us, I don't know, ten of us, I can't remember. It was only a few of us, but one of them, Mark, I'm meeting the day after tomorrow. I I, I don't see him, but we met at that course, and we, yeah. we kept in touch, and. Uh, and it was very much a sense of, oh, this is cool. You know, this is we're, we're all doing this together. We're all kind of growing. To, it, it, it was nice. It was a nice way of um, of sharing an experience as a community. Yeah. And, you know, and it was done upstairs in the room, you know. And yeah. that's obviously gone to a much bigger level now. But you're still creating that sense of... Um, yeah, I think even like, so the Happy Heart course was all about trying to catalyze people to support people mm. to eat you know, eat a plant-based diet or to try it for four weeks. Mm. And I guess now it's gone on to where it's online because we don't really have, there's so much stuff going on that to have to commit to doing a classroom course once a sure. week was not what we wanted to spend our time doing. So uh, now it's online, but it's the same function. It's the same it's idea, yeah. the same idea. It's all about trying to support people because most people know what to do. Mm. They know they should be eating more veg. They have an idea. There's so much free recipes out there, but they just need someone to hold them accountable and a track that supports them and that they're doing it with the other people. Like, because I think ultimately, I think connections is what's at the root of life. Like the connections yeah. and the people you meet and all those various things. So, and for people, those few people that still don't know about your the Happy Heart course, like how big has it gone? I mean, how many people um, have gone through it? Just that. I'd curiosity. say there's fifteen thousand people or something like that. Brilliant. Really? So fantastic. Yeah, like I'd say. I think January there was maybe 500 people did it from 52 different countries. There was, there's usually a few hundred people every month doing it right, from, right. and, and dip from different countries, which yeah. is the interesting thing. It's not just yeah. Ireland and England. Yeah. And then, uh, and again, uh, very few people don't know about this, but uh, then you started swimming, like Greystones is great for swimming. There, there's always been mm. swimmers there every day for the last 40 years down the, the South Beach, but then you guys started and they, and it became the swim race, which is yeah uh, that too. That's why did that? Why did you start that? Uh, it, it was, there was no like idea or concept. It's more evolved. Like I mm. think uh, me and Steve used to get up. I, I think it was back when I had my first kid, Elsie. So seven years ago, I was walking around by the sea, and I think there was this, the sun was rising, and I think I took some photos of it. It was beautiful, and I think I put it up on Facebook. Like this is seven years ago. And might have put some wrote something about it, and people really liked it because the sunrise is such a symbol of hope and you know mm-hmm. dawn and a new horizons or whatever. And uh, so then we got in the habit of like from social media, it was like, oh, wait, Jesus, a beautiful thing. We got in the habit of going down at sunrise and taking photos and putting them up, and it was a really nice, soulful thing to do. It was like a real, almost like meditation. You go down, you watch the sunrise. Me and Steve would me take photos. And we ended up doing that for like a year or two. Like we used to do that for a few, good few years. And then uh, it was about two, maybe two and a half years ago, whatever. 
and sometimes we'd swim, but there was no kind of daily thing about mm. it. And maybe two and a half years ago, we were down, and uh, Neil was there. Stephen, there was another guy, we didn't know his name at the time, but he was a, a guy who was swimming, and he's probably 10 years older than us. And uh, he said, hey, sure, I'll hold your gear. You go in swimming there. Go on, you always feel better for it. So we went in swimming, and... Uh, Is it Neil take the photos? Neil, Neil takes yeah, the photos, yeah. yeah. But at the time, we didn't know who. You know, yeah, he was yeah. just some random man. And uh, and we went for a swim, and he said, I'll see you here the next day. I was like, all right, cool. So we came the next day because we were down swimming at sunrise. We were down taking photos anyway, so we saw him the next day. And I think, and then it ended up being the next day again. And then Hugo joined, he was there and he joined us. And then a couple of days later, Caroline joined us. And then it was like, what should we see the next day? And then, uh, and then suddenly it was August. And then it was like, I wonder what we do this in September. And then it it ended up, we made it through September. It's like, I wonder, could we make it till Christmas? (laughs) And then it showed up. And then suddenly there was 20, there was 10 of us that had come regularly. And then, and then suddenly we'd done the whole year and then it's just kept going and it's gone from strength. We did it like, we started the public ones, which was, it was, Solstice, was it? no, it was just a laugh. It came out of, uh, like we'd always put up photos of us swimming at sunrise and people, so many people would comment on social media and they'd say, oh, it looks amazing. I'd love to join you someday. But they wouldn't know the reality yeah, that the yeah. water's freezing and that the wind is cold and whatever. So uh, Steve was, Steve was really enjoying Snapchat. So he said, hey, uh, it was like June two years ago. He, he, he just said, hey, we're going swimming this Thursday. If anyone wants to join us, uh, we're going to bring free porridge and free coffee. Meet us at the Happy Pair at 4.30 a.m. And he put up this thing on Snapchat and, and Siobhan at the time said, why don't you put it up on like the other ones, Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and whatever and just see what happens. So he put it up on all of them and that was a Tuesday and then the Thursday morning, um, we, me and Steve met up at 4 a.m. to make porridge because that was the big hook. So we were there making porridge and coffee and Steve was pouring in the porridge he said uh, he couldn't find a small pot, so he said, "Ah, feck, we just make a big pot." And oats are cheap, so we just made a big pot of porridge. And we thought there might be Raj and a few of the other lads out the front would show up, and that was it. it was Darren, maybe Raj, and maybe Jack or whatever. Mm. And uh, we walked out, and it was like 150 people at like 4:30 a.m. And we walked in the beach and swam and ate porridge, and uh, and then we on the back of that we've done maybe five public ones with this yeah, being. And they've been great. I've been yeah. to a couple of them. They've been great, and it's a great, yeah. show. it's a great sense of. Uh, just sharing, sharing a nice moment, you know. Yeah, yeah, really. Yeah, some of them have been amazing. With this brilliant. Yeah, brilliant. Um, this song, Chemical Brothers. Oh yeah, that was. Uh, I think that was probably from uh, Mark, our brother's a DJ, and I guess back when we first started the shop, when we were like twenty four to probably thirty, when we were single males, uh, we used to love going into town dancing, and I guess that song reminds me of those days of just going. <laughs> dancing like a luna that was like a big song that used to come on and you'd go wild and it was really fun <laughs> and even in the shop we put it on when, it, when you were closing down someone had put it on and it was it just reminds me like it, I hear it and my adrenaline kicks automatically and I you know it's really good it. that's it
mentioned social media a few times and um, and in the building like so the, the happy pair story is a great story as I say again everybody knows it but one thing that really kind of changed the game was the social media right social media was a big part of what you were able to reach out to so many more more people including from the swim rise and onwards mm. but what's your relationship with the social media now um so maybe i'll just give the reference of that i guess because we started the business it wasn't about we want a whole fleet of ferraris and we want big mansions mm. it was always about trying to use vehicle to better society from mm. our perspective or whatever so social media, when that came around, we always felt it was a great platform to amplify our message and to try to kind of reach more people. And mm -hmm. so it wasn't a means of trying to sell more stuff. It was sure. more to try to inspire things. So social media, I've never been on it personally. I've never had any personal accounts on Facebook or, you know, I never had anything personal. They've all been business things. So in that sense, I don't take things personally. Stephen does more because he's he's more, he does more social media than I do. Mm -hmm. And he'd sometimes get a bit, you know, the nature of, social media is people will fling crap sometimes they will people sure. just get upset and they like troll you know you get trolls and people and sometimes Stephen will get upset with it whereas I you know I rarely get I find it's in our situation it's hugely positive you can reach sure. so many people and try to inspire people but then you also like it I, I spent too much time I've downloaded an app moment on my phone which tells me how long I spend on my phone and how many times I open it that was going to be my next question because I mean it, it is very consuming yeah it is and to do it like like it's a it's a, you're walking a knife's edge because one it amplifies a message and it inspires people and it connects people and you're like these metrics these vanity metrics of likes and comments and how many followers you have they're all there and you're like and it, our competitive nature is like oh yeah we're doing better than this person we're doing and, mm -hmm. and then we get excited by that but then the other side is you spend too much time on a phone or on a laptop and and you question about like the whole reason we started the business was for health and happiness and it was really ultimately it was from a selfish point of view of let's set up a business that supports our lifestyle where we get the food we want we attract the humans we want to hang out with you know and that was the ultimate that was why mm -hmm. we started it so you constantly have to kind of go right like we've got to be authentic to this if we're trying to make inspire people to be happier mm -hmm. and healthier it's got to start with ourselves so I think you're kind of walking that knife's edge yeah, and, you, yeah. you and sometimes to. you spend too much time on it and sometimes you don't but ultimately we have a great time with it we met so many amazing people through it like yeah and that that, that was it like I'm following this conversation following up you having had a live podcast with Russell Brand last yeah. night you know which is you know it's great and, and yeah. I appreciate the time you're giving me now and you just ask a lot of time a lot of questions that probably I'm asking you about or not but you met so many amazing people and, and celebrities is the wrong word but people that have just done amazing things and they reach out to you guys because because of your popularity so I don't know from the likes of Rich Roll to any, anyone in particular that you really go God I'm so glad I met this you know they, uh, they really kind of somebody really kind of changed your your view or your no I wouldn't say anyone's changed my view because I've being an identical twin, maybe it's part of being a twin, I've always found a, a deep sense of self. Okay. So I, I don't feel like I'm looking to others for right. how should I live my life. Like I find I get pick up little bits from people, but uh, I can't say I've met anyone where it's like totally catalyzed, put me in a different direction. Because I think from the age of starting the business at 24, we had a pretty reasonable sense of what we wanted to do. And mm -hmm. we'd gone through a few years, like I say we, because it was the collective yeah, yeah, of me and Stephen. We'd both kind of, been busy slaying demons and facing all sorts of crap and 
a bit on the back of that we kind of knew we'd have a reasonable sense of self rightly or wrongly you know um, I'm not saying I learnt anything or were evolved enlightened humans but only in myself I felt mm. like I had a fair idea of who I was and I didn't mind if people hated me or didn't like me because mm. this is who I am you know and, and I'm sure the nature of of how like people perceive us I'm sure there's just as many people think oh those arrogant such and such sure. or whatever they might think we are and it's like whatever yeah sure you know people can perceive you know whereas I'm I'm quite comfortable I don't mind like I, I know when I look someone in the face it's like hi how are you this is me I'm I'm doing my very best just like you are and, sure. and how are you I go to the toilet just like you do I don't think I'm any better than you do <laughs> yeah that's interesting because you, you met uh, uh, yeah you met an array of very interesting people and I was just curious yeah. know, from the I likes of Jamie Oliver yeah. from the food aspect to Rich Roll to the fitness and whoever else in between and yeah. I just wonder if that like, was like a, I think think like rather than those type of celebrities it was more someone like there was a guy Satish Kumar an Indian kind of a guy who he'd walked from India to like the UK and he'd with no money and barefoot like these kind of characters the spiritual pe- people that always appeal to me more mm-hmm. because they're I think in a sense, they they're looking beyond the Western values of power, money, success, sex, to more the inward journey, which I think ultimately that's attracted me more at some mm. level. Even though at the moment in our lives we're very outward focused, sure. But um, I think those kind of people have more inspired me more. Like I think he was one of them, and 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 I think we've often been asked that question: Oh, if there was people you could, you know, your ideal dinner guests, if you could afford them for dinner, dead or alive, who would you have? And I would usually say, oh, Buddha, because sure, it'd be interesting to see what he's like and sniff around him. And sure, Gandhi would be interesting as well. And maybe Nelson Mandela. And then you go, oh, sure, Russell Brand would be great. I, I really like the way he speaks. I think he's got a great voice for something different that's been true, sex addiction, alcohol addiction, all these kind of things. So recently we've kind of got to meet him and kind of spend, you know, he's, he's over here filming a movie mm. and we've kind of connected with him and hung out with him quite a few times and did his podcast last night. And that's been really interesting to hang out with someone who you've really admired. Yeah, and, and it's become great. friends with, you know. No, and it's great because obviously they, you are very approachable, you know, and they, you're interesting to talk to. And I'm sure these guys, you know, it's not like, the, like a, even when the man Phil Rosenthal came around, he, he was genuine. Yeah. He loved to hang around. He, oh, yeah, he's great. Yeah, we're, we talked, still talk to him lots. Yeah, like, yeah. And his brother, I talked to him yesterday, you know, yeah, Rich, no, who's the producer. So. <laughs> yeah, so, so he's great. Is that, is there, there, hi there. And um, okay, like, uh, a song. Uh, so, so, but if I think of people we've met, I don't know. There's not that. Like I think. No, but it, that's that's interesting too because it's, it's 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 still true to your to to your character to what you said about your kids about trying to be and, to build and that I, inner. And I think strength. of the people. I think the people that inspire me most are those like shiny old men or women that are really kind and loving like I think those people inspire me sure. more than anyone like you know I think that kind of thing no, no, I think you lot inspire me like you li- how mm-hmm. you live your life how Ross lives his life all oh, your pack I think yeah, what a great what ro- great role models as a as a young male to see men that are, aren't running around with business suits and trying to conquer the world they're like they've time for coffee they prioritize their kids they they look genuinely like they're having a good time they they look to good relationships with their wives mm-hmm. and I think they've really good values and I think you know those I think you inspire me as much as yeah, any of the heroes right. no I agree and I agree and I, and, uh, and uh, I think uh, 
talking to a silver-haired person is always good, you know, there's always, uh, like, had a nice conversation with your dad before, and there's always something to learn, and that's what I love about, you know, and it doesn't matter who you are, you know, it doesn't matter if you have a best-selling book or a best-selling movie, or you happen to be just a regular Joe down the road, and that's a yeah. great story to tell, you know. Um, this song, Aerosmith, I was so disappointed you put it in. I don't want to miss the thing. Oh, that was a great one. So when I was 17, when I was 17, I, I had my first kind of, I fell in love with Gemma Kennedy. So she's a, Gemma Kennedy, well, her sister Lucy Kennedy's on the okay, television yeah, TV yeah, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So Gemma was, uh, I guess she wouldn't even like my first love or my first real girlfriend. <laughs> and uh, l- lovely, super, super lovely girl. And I went out with her for four years from 17 till 21. And uh, that was like, you know, when you were that age, it was back with tapes. And that was like our song, you know, the way you were like 18, that was like our song. You'd put it on and you'd hold hands and kiss and whatever. And, you know, so it was, it was like something of a movie, you know, we'd watch too many romantic comedies and that was... Well, I'll let you off with that. Yeah. Can you know, yeah, yeah, so, it's, so it's more a memory. It's not that it's the best song ever. All That's these okay. are more. That's okay. I could stay just to hear you breathing Watch you smile while you are sleeping While you're far away dreaming I could spend my life in this sweet surrender I could stay lost in this moment You have become a celebrity, like, whether you like it or not. You're, you're recognized, you're recognized around, and you know, you're everywhere at the moment, which is great. You know, people want a piece of you, mm. and uh, but uh, like, and I know again within the community, you're the same guy I knew ten years ago, which is great. But how do you deal with that beyond the Greystones, where you, you know? Because you're recognised pretty much everywhere. Um, like outside, in Ireland and outside Ireland, how, how do you deal with it, with the um, celebrity status thing? I think, I think that's a word that people put on, you know, people recognising you and are getting attention. Mm. And I think being an identical twin, we've always got attention. Because okay. there was two of us and we always looked the same. Okay. So like everywhere we went as identical twins, like it was, must have been really hard for our younger brothers because we got all the attention. Mm. We dressed the same. We'd go on holidays you'd always have people going, are you twins? Or who are you two? Or whatever. So mm. we've grown up getting more attention than the average person because okay. there's two of us and we look the same and we're both kind of social creatures. So like, quote unquote, being a celebrity, whatever that sure, means, yeah. now it's the same. You're in an environment and people, now they call you Mr. Happy Pear Man. Oh, those those twins. Like if we're together, if there's one of you, you know, it's it's you're less, right, you right. attract less attention. But if there's two of us, you walk in the street in, Ireland, in most places in Ireland and someone's gonna I, I don't know you're just kind of it's happened organically so it hasn't suddenly right. we didn't just release some movie and go from being some creature that yeah. I don't know so, so it's happened quite organically so it hasn't been overnight no no okay. I think the fact there's two of us in a sense gives you you're less approachable but uh, I was thinking 
again how how it happened that it went from being a busy little coffee shop to being this brand mm. uh, that did it happen overnight? I was starting to think earlier on. I couldn't remember. Did that happen overnight? Was it after the book? What what, what happened? Um, because it, it, one day there was a bit of a queue, and then the next day there was a long queue outside the shop. And yeah, <laughs> I'd say it was more like you know the way they say it takes ten years to have that one year that changes it all or whatever. Mm-hmm. And um, in a sense, it was probably like we've been like we started with this whole healthy eating kind of vegetarian vegan thing. Mm before long before like now it's kind of cool but 14 years ago it was like yeah, the, yeah. it was the antithesis of cool and i think even back when we started we used to do stuff on tv3 doing going in doing juice stuff and whatever so we were because there was two of us and we were really passionate and we we're like social creatures mm-hmm. you could drum up you know you could be guests sometimes every now and again on local radio shows or something but um i think it was the first book i think was probably ahead of its curve in a mm-hmm. sense because it was a different size book and we released that in 2014 I think the size as in it was smaller physical no, it's, okay. the physical size was smaller than the average cookbook and mm. I guess even even a story on that was that uh, we'd been approached by lots of we'd been approached by a good few publishers and we'd been told mm. so many times by people oh you should do a cookbook I have a great idea for you why didn't do a cookbook and this was me and Steve running the business we were like we were cooking in the kitchen we were working the vegetable shop we were up to the market going to the bat so like writing a fucking cookbook was not something we wanted to do or ever mm. anything and by the time you'd heard it 3,000 times from people and you knew when some lady said to you, will you come here to me now? I've got a great idea for you. are like, oh, here they go again with the fucking cookbook idea. And it was like, so you'd heard it so many yeah, times yeah. and you'd been approached by even a few publishers and we'd got, we sat down with this crowd, this London crowd came across and said, now we want you to do a cookbook and we went through all the contracts. It was like, oh, no way. This is like, it's all the small print and copyright and who owns stuff. It was like, no, I'm way too scared. I have no interest in doing this. And then someone put us in touch with Penguin Ireland and we went in and met them and their offices were overlooking Stephen's Green and it was, you know, we went in and there was all the lovely books on the shelves and there was like lovely tea and nice biscuits and they were very well read, Patricia and Michael, and it was really nice and uh, it felt really nice and this was the crowd that like Stephen, as Stephen says, he said, it was kind of like meeting Roald Dahl and Enid Blyton like, and I was like, you know, he felt this kind of sense of, you know, in touch with books or heritage or something and, and uh, they said, you know, any... Typically, a person who writes a book with Penguin is usually a best-selling cookbook or book in Ireland. And uh, they said, so we kind of felt a sense like, oh my God, like, if we do a book with them, like, I don't want to let them down. I don't want to let Roald Dahl down. I don't want to let him, you know, so there was a sense of responsibility. And then they said, um, the average person who writes a cookbook in Ireland, like, if they have a TV show, they'll sell 2,000 copies. So it's like, 2,000 copies? And they said, uh, we'll take a punt on you. We're going to print 6,000 and you'll sell them over five years or whatever. You've got a shop. You can keep selling them. It's like six days and the average person sells two days. And this isn't just a cookbook, it's a feckin' vegetarian cookbook. So anyway, they took a punt on us and they printed 6,000. And uh, and I remember the book came out on a Friday, I think. And Steve was in Spain and he called me up. And on Thursday night, we got the copies of the books and we were putting them on the shelves. And I remember there was a lad had driven up from Tipperary. He came in like after hours. This is like 10 p.m. He's knocking on the window. And he said, I saw your, your cookbook's out. I was like, how the heck do you know that? And, he, and he, he, he said, I wanted to buy a cookbook for my girlfriend. I was like, oh my God. And he asked me to, to sign it. And he, and he, like, I had to write my name in the book. And I was like, you what? You want me to write my name in a book? Like, you mad? <laughs> and this, I thought this was the strangest thing ever. And the book came out. And within six weeks, we'd sell 6,000 copies. Right. And 
within that year became the number one best selling cookbook in Ireland. And then the next year when Jamie Oliver brought in a new book, so did Nigella, so did all the much bigger name chefs. And it ended up selling them all in Ireland, two to one. And to date, it sold 100,000 copies. So the good. first of the three books? And the first one, just the yellow 100, one. 100,000. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, what, what's the, do you know what the total sales for the three books? Because uh, the three books now, right? Yeah, the second one, I think, sold, sold maybe 60,000 or something like that. And the, the recent book is only out a couple of months. So Brilliant. I don't know what it's done exactly. It's Brilliant. just doing its thing. So, uh, so I, think, I think that kind of gave us a... We started doing media and then like once you're on the telly and doing radio and there's Tui and there's a story and there's... Yeah, and you can... I don't know, you could... Have, like here was two men, like we were probably young men at that stage, talking about healthy eating, whereas in a space that's typically dominated by fe- by women, like by girls, females, sure. it was quite different, you know. So. Yeah. I, I don't know what it was, maybe. No, interesting, interesting. Yeah. Google Dolls, Iris. Iris, okay, so that was... Uh, that was back being 20, 19 or 20 years of age. Me and Steve, we were playing a lot of golf at the time. So we were uh, we were asked to go be golf pros on this golf summer camp in the States, teaching little rich kids golf. So we went over there one summer and we were underage. We, were, we must be 20 years old. And uh, we'd fake IDs and we lived in these apartments with all these, I think there's maybe 50 other young men from all over the world who were like golf pros or really good at golf. And uh, so that summer we used to have to sit in vans and drive these rich kids around and teach them golf and play golf and whatever. And uh, that summer we were like drinking like fish and just partying like we were total meatheads, 21 year old meatheads just having a good time. So uh, I remember in the van that was on the radio all the time, that Goo Goo Dolls Irish and Backstreet Boys. I can't think I can hear the, the tune yeah, but, I can't yeah, hear. I can't but I remember those two songs will always remind me of sitting in white vans probably hung over you know going to like for lunch it would have been Pizza Hut or something like this and like you know it was quite the end this is where we where, what we do now and what we do, so. well I think you need to experience uh, things yeah. before you can actually turn the corner see what feels right to you yeah, yeah. that's brilliant Know that you feel me somehow. You're the closest to heaven that I'll ever be, and I don't wanna go home right now. And all I could taste is this moment, and all I can breathe is your life. And sooner or later it's over. I just don't want. Yeah, we need to finish. I just want to ask you one thing that I'm, I'm really curious about is, is, is a big bugbear of mine. Um, anything, anything that, like at the moment, you, you, as you say, you started this when wasn't wasn't uh, popular, wasn't cool. You were just the two hippies in the in the shop, and you were trying to sell juices to the town and all that. Now it's you can't open your mind without vegan is the biggest word at the moment. Everybody's talking about it. everybody. You know, it's. And my fear is, is it becoming, it's great that there's a movement, there's a natural movement towards healthier eating, whether you call it plant-based, vegan, whatever it is. But it also, it, it's, it's starting to be 
the big the big companies getting involved. So all of a sudden you see vegan products everywhere. You see, which is great in a way, but I'm wondering how good that stuff is. And and like the, the, the at the moment the stories with the avocados is too much avocado produced. Is it the quality right? You know all that kind of stuff. What, what do you see? How do you see that being? Long question, but how how do we get to get proper food onto our plates if the big corporates get involved, the Del Monte of this ball, mm. um, Monsanto and of this world? Yeah, I think think if you think too far down the track, you might be stifled to not do anything and just keep eating burgers and chips and pizza. So I think it's about it's not about the vegan and the vegetarian or any of those words that can be kind of that can be divisive. I think it's much more about like we're all going to die as humans supposedly anyway whether we're vegan or not vegan mm. or whatnot and our decisions like we're we're having a huge impact on the environment at the mm. moment just existing you know existing in western culture sure we're we're having a huge impact on it so i think the more we can eat more fruit and veg whether it's produced by del monte or produced by Monsanto or whoever it's produced by even the most toxic non-organic spray or non-organic grapes sprayed in Chile are more likely going to be healthier according to loads of studies are healthier than you know non-organic meat for all the hormones that are in it and environmentally it's probably much healthier decision Mm. if you weigh in all the various factors to it so I think it's it's more about there there ain't no perfect like Mm. there you know life isn't perfect in any sense Mm. But I think all the studies indicate that the more fruit and veg you eat, the more whole foods you eat, the more you're moving towards health. And it's back to, I think, a personal level without thinking about the environment. Like, first and foremost, our own internal environment is where we all want to feel best. We want to have energy. We want our body to feel good. We want to wake up and be confident and comfortable in our body, you know, body confidence. And I think that starts with having energy and feeling good. And I think it starts, what you eat has such a huge impact on that. So Mm. I think it's fruit, veg, beans, legumes, whole grains, nuts and seeds. Like if you can eat most of what you eat, more of what you eat is that or as much of that as you can eat, the better because it's better for your own internal environment. It's better for the external environment. I think it's politically, it probably supports the type of things that are doing less harm to the planet and are, you know, in my experience, it seems like it's what you eat is such a crossroads in terms of environment, in terms of capitalism and governmental systems mm-hmm. and corporations in terms of personal health and in terms of you know all those various things politics starts with your plate like it starts with what you put oh, in your food and i think like the more more stuff you can eat that isn't a product it's like stuff that doesn't have a label on it like fruit and veg that stuff sure. is like you're not going to go too wrong with eating lots of fruit and veg beans and lentils and those kind of things they aren't expensive either and they're good for your health and i think the vegan products are more like you know the packaged stuff are yeah, no, but it also what, wor- what worries me more is things like going to the local shops and, and you buy fruit and veg and you go home and you look, the labels unfortunately are on it because you can't buy, you can't buy spinach unless they're in a, in a bag and mm. the spinach sometimes don't come from Ireland, they come from Spain and the, you know, the lettuce comes from Italy and I'm like, why? Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't mind the avocado because we can't grow but it I think, But I think the why comes back to the government, it comes back to the government supports, you know, there's funding for dairy and animals in this country and like we're not very good at horticulture we're really poor at horticulture outside of potatoes and carrots you know we're not very good at it Mm. there's not a huge they're not incentivized there's not systems about it so i think a huge thing which our brother dara he's Mm. a younger brother he's um seven years we're 38 so he's 32 i think he's 16 and a half years younger 
but uh, he he kind of joined the business because he he saw we were selling so much Dutch stuff back thirteen years ago or something, and he wanted to kind of do stuff about that. And he started off our sprout farm and whatnot. And he's kind of said now, right? I don't. I, I want. I'm gonna happy to work in the business for the next year or two. And he said, then I want to start a community farm because he said I think we really need to adopt. He said I want to raise a bunch of money and do it properly. I want to build a farm that's based on organic principles. It's uh, based on Dutch growing principles, which are really commercial. It's ba- based on like good models where there's you know it's glass houses. They're heated. They're closed loop systems where you're producing your own energy on site. You're heating the systems. And therefore, you can serve the local environment, and you, we can produce the huge more foods which we can use in our shops. Mm. Have it as an environment, has it has it as a community hub where local schools can come up. There's education centres. There's you could involve maybe things like um, you know the addiction centre. What is it mm-hmm. called? Tiglin. Um, like any, you know, you could uh, it could be a real community add value to the community mm-hmm. on so many different levels. So that's yeah. part of our dream of where we absolutely oh, want to move towards. Yeah, that, that, that's. That's the answer I was hoping to get because the more of you doing something like that, uh, but but it takes it takes capital like you, it takes you, capital. It's I not like the government are going to give you money to do no, it. So no, but I think we realize with business like it's taken us a long time to realize that you have to be profitable to be able to move the money to where you want to invest the energy. And if you're waiting for someone to give you three million to build a farm, like you're, you're not going to get it unless you can prove a track record. And but hopefully with with your um, with your reach. Of uh, you know, if you do, if you do do a, a community farm and it's successful, it will be successful. There is a yeah. there is a demand for that. Like I, I'm not the only one that will want to eat good food. You know, and and unfortunately, it's hard to find. Then hopefully that'll let it spread, and other yeah. people, other community will do. And then maybe maybe some uh, uh, dairy farmer decide to change because it makes it, it becomes profitable. Then it becomes something yeah. interesting for him. Well, I think there's models in the states. They started uh, CSA's community supported agriculture, where the farmer before he starts planting his fields, he go gets X amount of families. So maybe there's it's his model is set up around two hundred families, and they pay at the start of the year they pay two hundred euros or X amount it might be. It's it's 10 euros a week or 15 euros a week and they prepay it for the full season so the farmer's got his income he's not and each week he 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 delivers a box to everyone or they come collect a box and it's and there's open days once every cup once every month and every so there's a natural tie to the farm where people are connected with where their food is coming from and i think one of the best things i heard was uh it was an interview it was two people being interviewed and it was this doctor and he was said so what would you do to change you know, how would you change things? And he said, well, if I look at Israel, they have amazing army because kids, when they finish school, they have to do an obligatory year in the army. And he said, I think what, what nowadays, if kids at the age of 18 were told they had to spend an obligatory one year on a farm, an organic farm that was horticulture based, people would have so much more appreciation of food, where it comes from, back to basics, that I think by that's very nature, I think it would catalyze so much of a, yeah. There'd be so much positive knock-on effects that I thought that was great wisdom. Uh, yeah, it is, and uh, hopefully it will ha- uh, will happen somehow because uh, we are we are facing a, a really dark tunnel. Otherwise, you know, th- th- just the way it's going is just it's quite depressing at times. Well, I think there's pockets of light. It depends on where you focus. Like I know, yeah, you know that you've got to we've got to all build our own little universes, and I think like what we've always focused on is the little bubble, like the Greystones, that little universe that's all around mm. there. There's so much 
so much positive stuff going on, like the playground opening up yesterday. What an amazing playground it must be. Oh no, and it, and it shows and it shows that if if there's a will and if there's a community spirit, you do make you know that, that playground didn't take long to put together. You know, and it was a big capital required. But the yeah. guys, the two young guys, they got put their heads together and decided to go and fundraise and get the right. Um, the right people to build and it looks amazing and it's, it's got the right it's brilliant it's brilliant yeah so yeah and I think too. think it's the same with all these and I think you know the world wasn't changed by governments it was changed by small bunches of people that independently decided right I've had enough I want to do something different so I think mm. it's going to take more and more of that mm. and I think like this community farm idea there's people have so many different ideas with transport and energy and all these various things and I think mm. those things excite me you yeah, know yeah it's great yeah Okay, Dave, the last things I always ask everybody for a couple of words of wisdom. Give us your words of wisdom and, and then we'll let you go with the Have last fun, time. don't take life serious, there's no proof it's serious, and have a laugh. Sounds good to me, yeah. keep it happy. Basic, simple things, that'll be it. There's no proof life is serious in any sense. No. We're all going to die. We're all going to die. That's what Anto said to me as well. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Cut in the same cloth. He has it tattooed on his chest that you're all going to die anyway. <laughs> and the last song you picked is James Bay, uh, Need the Sun to Breathe. Yeah, yeah, it's a real another super cheesy song. Yeah, but it's yeah. more something that just reminds me of. So I've been separated from Jan, who's the mother of my kids, who we were married for four years. And I've been in a relationship now with Sabrina for two years. So um, it's a really nice, lovely relationship. And I guess this is a song that kind of, I guess, reminds me of that. So it's, yeah. I guess songs for me just remind, you know, they represent. They're a lot of cheese for the vegan, but that's okay. Yeah, 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 you know. (laughs) I I can't say I'm a musical connoisseur. If you ask my brother Mark, he'd... Uh, uh, Yeah, well, I'll have Mark eventually on it. But listen, Dave, thanks a million for your time. Much appreciated. And uh, I'll talk to you soon. Cheers, great fun. Yeah, thanks everybody. I'm halfway gone. Sleepless, I'm battle-born. You're all I want. So bring me the dawn. to break you've woken up my heart I'm shaking on my luck could change been in the dark for weeks and I've realized you're all I need I hope that I'm not too late and I hope I'm not too late back and how come my friends already know you I feel like a kid too shy to speak up so I keep it here open to fly you steal my sleep each night